Hello, I'm Megan Williams, and you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today's show was produced across stolen lands, and I'd like to pay my respects to traditional owners, both past, present, and emerging, from across this country, uh, and acknowledge the pivotal role that Aboriginal culture and knowledge plays in protecting country. Wherever you're listening across Australia, this was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. And before we get stuck into today's program, I'm here to remind you that 3CR's Radiothon is almost upon us. It's that time of year when we ask you to help us at Earth Matters and all of us at 3CR stay on the air. We're asking you and all of our listeners to take the pledge to support Earth Matters and donate by calling the station on 03 or you can donate online by going to this week's podcast page at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. But now back to the show. How much can a koala bear? Between land clearing, climate change-induced bushfires and native forest logging, our cute and cuddly koalas have had a rough trot. In New South Wales, the debate over koala habitat protection boiled over last year, with Liberal MP Catherine Cusack crossing the floor to vote down amendments to the Local Land Services Act and the government repealing the 2019 State Environmental Planning Policy on koala habitat protection. Now, the Local Land Services Amendments is before an Upper House inquiry, and a new koala state environment planning policy is being developed and implemented later this year. But as the changes are being made, critics are saying the government is trying to bypass parliamentary scrutiny. Today on Earth Matters, we're featuring interviews provided by Michael Jones from 2NVR, a local community radio station from the Mid-North Coast. First up, Michael speaks with Susie Russell from the North Coast Environmental Council. Susie, the uh, Environmental Defender's Office recently said that uh, following latest changes to the Koala State Environment Planning Policy, there's no real protection for koala habitat outside national parks. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yes, I do think it's a fair assessment. What the government has done is effectively made all private land apart from a very, very small area around um, towns um, as being uh, excluded from the koala protection policy. So that's all land where farming or logging or land clearing is taking place is now excluded. There's a figure bandied around that's uh, of 95%. I, I didn't really understand what that was about. Well, what the government is saying, because they're spin doctors, is that the um, the development applications, 95% development applications, will be caught up in this um, state environment planning policy. So if someone wants to do a development on the edge of town, say they want to do something at the edge of Nambucca, um, areas that are basically within a, a 
capital development zone, then they will be subject to this koala policy uh, most of the time. But um, but that's the only areas of um, <coughs> of developmental activity that are subject to to this policy. So while while the government's saying ninety five percent of development applications will, will be uh, affected by the policy, it's probably fair to say that. 95% of koala habitat and 95% of koalas will not be affected by this, uh, by this protection policy. So, unfortunately, this is the way the government works. I mean, this was an, a, a secret deal uh, done between um, Barilaro and Stokes and uh, the Premier. And uh, what they're trying to do is to come up with a way of... Um, doing what the National Party want because uh, they were blackmailing them about leaving the coalition and therefore making the government in New South Wales less stable. Um, this is a way of, of sort of keeping them in government but without having to take legislation to Parliament. So your listeners may remember that last year one of the Liberal members just uh, could not stomach the changes that were being pushed through that took away koala protections and she actually across the floor of Parliament to vote with everybody else against the government and lost her uh, lost her job yeah. um, as a sort of parliamentary secretary for doing that. Um, so this is a way of trying to avoid um, these changes going to Parliament because the government's not confident they'd be able to actually get it through Parliament. Um, and so they can do it by these sort of rule changes on the fringes of uh, of the law and and they're able to uh, effectively um, take this massive step towards um, increasing the likelihood of koala extinction. The government does have to come up with um, a code of practice for private land logging, private native forestry, in the next couple of months and probably some rules around land clearing. And whether or not they provide any protection for koalas, we're going to have to wait and see. But... Given this first initial step, I don't think we should hold any hope. I was going to ask you, um, with the logging of native forests, we see a huge impact on biodiversity. We see uh, it causes soil erosion, water pollution, and we're probably much better off uh, promoting ecotourism because uh, logging native forests costs the public. Do you ever think we're going to reach the stage where the logging of native forests will be um, a thing of the past? Do you think the government will um, take that step with enough public pressure? Well, I'd like to think that they will. Um, certainly the public land forests. I mean, what is ridiculous is that public land, which should be being used for the public good, is being used to line the pockets of a few and actually destroy the public's um, amenity. So what we're seeing is the ability of the forest to be resilient, to be a, a, an efficient holder of water as part of our catchment protection, to stop erosion, to shelter biodiversity, to store carbon. All those things are being diminished by current logging practices. And I mean, that's clearly not in the public interest. So uh, I would I would certainly hope that sooner or later we will get a government that recognises that public land logging has to stop. Um, what I'm uh, 
<laughs> what I'm worried about is that um, all the, you know, the National Party, the Liberals and the Labor Party all seem to be beholden to the logging industry to some extent. And uh, while in the past the Labor Party promoted the idea, for example, of a great koala national park, um, they seem to have walked away from that. And uh, it's not clear now where the Labor Party stand on these issues. And uh, there was a suggestion in recent polling that they've, you know, their their sort of polling figures are so bad that you know there's no chance they're going to win the next election anyway, uh, even though it's a couple of years off. So. I guess um, fortunes can change, but uh, at the moment it's certainly looking as if the fortunes of the forests uh, are dire and that they will continue to be degraded, they will continue to be vulnerable to fire, Um, our carbon sinks will continue to be destroyed and that um, we in New South Wales are doing a great deal to make um, climate and climate change impacts worse. And um, it does make me think of the fall of Rome. Right. Susie, how, is, um, how does it work with, you know, John Barillaro's pushing logging of native forest? What, what sort of ties does the National Party have with big business? How, how does that work? Well, I think it's, um, I think that there's some powerful lobbying industry, uh, powerful lobbying from the logging industry. And as we know, um, the National Party hold a, a whole swathe of rural seats up and down the North Coast that have traditionally been um, areas where logging um, was part of the, the industrial makeup of that area. Now, that has greatly reduced over the last 20 or 30 years. There's been a big decline um, in the numbers of people employed in the logging industry. But nonetheless, I think, you know, those guys, they go to the same clubs, they go to the same functions, um, they make their donations, they sort of send their lobbyists off to sort of grease up to the politicians. And... Uh, and they are absolutely, you know, they're nature haters. They they really are. They really feel threatened, I think, um, by by nature, and have this view that you know it would be far better off if we could uh, just get it all organised in in rows of the same species that are sort of plantations that can be managed by machines and. So it's a very, you know, it's a very limited and antiquated view of worldview, but mm-hmm. um, uh, and probably not surprising considering that you know the National Party stalwarts are probably best, you know, most represented by the older cohort of the population, and I think as younger people increasingly understand the problems. I mean, we've seen groups like Farmers for Climate Action and uh, groups of sort of younger people who are getting active in um, farming and understand the problems. Um, Same with forestry. I think it's only a matter of time till those things change. But unfortunately, we don't have much time anymore. You know, we've squandered 20 or 30 years of doing the wrong thing and prevaricating about the need to get active on climate change. And part of that is the need to protect our forests, which are an important carbon store, 
let them grow old, let them accumulate carbon, biodiversity, provide shelter for so many different animals now that, you know, are on the edge of extinction. Um, that's what we need our forests for. They are absolutely vital to providing regular uh, water supply to all of the coastal towns. Um, if we keep on basically logging the forests, the water supply is going to diminish because the younger trees will soak up more of the water. Uh, less of it will be available for downstream. I mean, we're temporarily not in drought, but it's only temporary. And the drought, the dryness, the heat will come back too soon. And when that does happen, um, what we've been doing in our forests will... Um, the impact of that we'll be seeing as rivers dry up all up and down the coast, which is what was happening two years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, let's think. Let's hope things change for the better uh, relatively soon. Susie Russell, thanks very much. No worries. Thanks for having me, Michael. Sorry I haven't got any better news. That was Michael Jones from 2NVR speaking to Susie Russell from the North Coast Environment Council about changes to the state environment planning policy regarding the protection of koala habitat. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Next, Michael speaks with New South Wales Independent MP Justin Field on the role of biofuels in native forest logging. Justin, last year Matt Keane announced that uh, the renewable energy zones in the state and he's obviously committed to renewable energy, which is a great thing. Recently we found out that biofuel was going to be part of the energy mix. I was just wondering if uh, you think John Barilero, the um, National Party politician, might have pressured him into this uh, position? Look, I think it's a, a possibility that the uh, Department of Regional New South Wales, which is John Barilero's department, has been pushing for... Um, biofuels and, and probably biofuels in the broader sense, which includes wood to energy, which is deeply concerning. But I think that from the Environment Minister's perspective, uh, that perhaps they're looking at a narrower form of bioenergy, looking at uh, waste to energy in terms of residual waste, looking at green waste to energy. So when we talk about waste to energy or biofuels or bioenergy, there is some stuff that can be good and part of the solution when it comes to reducing waste and uh, minimising greenhouse gas emissions. And then there can be some really terrible stuff, such as burning our native forests uh, for energy. And I think we should draw a distinction between the two. And certainly I'll be pushing the Environment Minister as he finalises his waste strategy, where I think a lot of this is, is going to be embedded, that it be quite constrained in its uh, definitions of what is renewable energy when it comes to uh, biofuels. Because um, the situation overseas for biofuel has been quite disastrous, hasn't it? If you look at um, Southeast America and um, the palm oil industry in Asia, that's causing destruction of rainforests. So um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, canola and other other oils and um, uh, and other uh, food crops that um, that get used for ethanol, and then you've got obviously palm oil, which is destructive on the, the rainforests of Southeast Asia. Huge land use impacts huge uh, biodiversity loss impacts, uh, huge impacts in terms of uh, carbon emissions from deforestation. Uh, and that's before you look at the, the, the pretty old school and retrograde idea of burning forests for energy, which we've seen 
parts of Europe in particular, which you know the community is pushing back against, and we now recognise that um, it's very difficult to make the claim, uh, and it's illogical to make the claim that these are renewable energy. And if you look at the economics, what's how does the economics stack up for biofuel when you compare it with you know wind and solar? Well, look, it does depend on on what we're talking about here. So, for example, if you've got uh, you know green waste being uh, managed, household waste uh, being managed to avoid uh, landfill gases or to capture landfill gases, well, then that's a useful uh, a strategy, and and those those costs are. Uh, already um, uh, sort of in, in embedded in the waste strategy. So if we can avoid the emissions, then, then that's good. That's economically worth doing. Yep. But it seems to me that the finances around, you know, food crops for energy or chopping down native forests to transport it to be then turned into uh, pulp or pellets to burn is just absurd. And I think it can only work with government subsidies. Unfortunately, we've seen a willingness of the Commonwealth government in Australia in particular to subsidise these sorts of projects. And we've now seen in the Hunter Valley the suggestion that um, wood to energy can be used to create hydrogen. This is no form of green hydrogen in my mind. It would be some of the dirtiest forms of hydrogen. And it can only exist with government subsidies given the cost of uh, harvesting and transporting heavy timber for that purpose. So I think the economics are poor, but that doesn't mean that there's not people in government, state and federal, who might be pursuing this option and looking to subsidise companies to do it. I see, yeah. Just uh, looking further at the economics, the Australian Institute um, did a, a study and they found out that over the last seven years, the logging of um, native forests has cost the public about $79 million. So it seems to me we're getting we're paying for the privilege of having our natural resources, our forests destroyed. Do you think there's a case for stopping the logging of native forests now, considering most of the um, the profit for forestry corp comes from softwood plantations anyway? Oh, there absolutely is. There's been a case for a long time. Um, I make that case every day uh, in Parliament. Not only are we paying for the, the privilege of destroying biodiversity in our forests. Obviously, the opportunity cost is huge too in that these forests are not regrowing and being part of the, a climate change solution. They're not being allowed to recover from the bushfires and be the refuges for uh, native animals that were so badly impacted um, by the fires. And also, we're missing a huge opportunity in terms of nature-based tourism. Um, you know, people love our forests as a recreational Asset and, and that's undermined by uh, the logging of, of these forests. Where I am on the south coast, uh, I can imagine absolutely fantastic walking in mountain bike trails and horse riding and even motorbike trails and engaging people back into our, our public forest for recreations. It would be a huge economic boon for those communities. Uh, I just think we've we don't have enough imagination when it comes to the opportunities for us to. Uh, to, to reimagine the future of our forests in New South Wales. Yeah. Just one last question. Um, very recently, the Koala set, the Koala State in Environmental Planning Policy has been um, altered by the, the government. Do you think that uh, is a good thing? Is it going to protect our koalas? It's not going to protect our koalas because, and the, uh, the planning minister acknowledged this, the, the new SEP applies. Uh, to what he describes as 95% of the areas where development occurs. But, of course, that's not where the koalas live. 
Um, so yeah. it covers off on the urban environments. What it doesn't do is apply to rural land where 70, 80% of the remaining koala population lives. So it's not going to achieve the goal. At the end of the day, koalas need trees. This policy uh, doesn't protect trees. More koala habitat will be lost. So you continue to see the decline of koala populations under this policy. Now, and they're on their pathway to extinction. So it's been a, a devastating failure of, of public policy, largely brought to you by this ongoing conflict between the Nationals and Liberal Party um, over land management. Um, and uh, it's got to end if we're going to uh, save the koala. It seems to me that the, the Nationals have the, um, the Liberals over a barrel in some way. They seem to get their way quite often. Do you, do you feel that uh, is the case? or? Oh, it absolutely is. Um, and, of course, the National Party are a minor party in reality. They they attract a very small overall percentage of the vote. Um, they occupy less than a third of, um, of regional seats, actually. Um, and even in the seats that they win, they get only about 30% of the vote. So they, they actually don't represent a majority view in regional New South Wales. But as part of the coalition agreement, of course, they help the Liberals form government and they are guaranteed certain portfolios as part of that agreement and those portfolios are often in areas that have devastating consequences for our environment, largely agriculture and water, regional development um, and the party's much more obsessed with uh, developers and mining interests um, than, than genuine agricultural interests um, because most people who understand uh, agriculture realise that you need biodiversity um, for good agri agricultural outcomes, for, for good water management, for good um, riparian zone management, for uh, ensuring you're not having a landscape drying out and being unsuitable for growing crops and, uh, and supporting uh, animal agriculture. So it's counterproductive. It's not only devastating for um, biodiversity and wildlife, it's counterproductive for productive agriculture as well. Justin Field, it's great to get those insights and, and thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. Talk to you again. Okay, thanks. You're tuned to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. That was Independent MP Justin Field speaking to Michael Jones of 2NVR, who's provided us a series of interviews about our native forests and how New South Wales state policies are affecting them. Last but not least is an interview with Greens MP Kate Fannin, taken from the ground in the Newry State Forest. Well, I've just been up to the beautiful Newry State Forest and with the Forest Ecology Alliance group and we had a very special visitor. We had the Greens uh, MP Kate Fannin. Welcome to 2NVR, Kate. Thank you so much, Michael. Kate, um, I've been concerned because um, the Northeast Forest Alliance uh, did a study and they, or did some research, and they uh, discovered that about 140,000 hectares of state forest is zoned for clearing for biofuel on the north coast between Tari and Grafton. Do you think that's a very good use of our natural resources? Oh, it's the very definition of insanity. Like it's 2021. We know the science is there in terms of how much we need to retain our forests in terms of carbon, water, soil, uh, biodiversity, even for ourselves in terms of restoration. I was just saying this morning how 
beautifully refreshed I felt uh, just sitting and walking through the forest uh, to know that we are that our government is willingly prepared to rip up allow these forests to be ripped up to burn for fuel is absolutely it's a national disgrace I don't think the majority of Australians know that this is happening and we just need to get the word out there it is absolute madness to be doing this at this point in time it's a crime I know you're very passionate about koalas. There's a lot of other species that are impacted by by logging on the North Coast. How do you think, um, if this biofuel industry proceeds, how do you think this will affect um, biodiversity in New South Wales? Well, the, we've had our wildlife absolutely decimated as a result of the fires and they're only going to struggle increasingly as a result of climate change. We have to retain and protect these uh, havens, these sanctuaries for them now as much as possible. We've got 140,000 hectares, as you said, that NEFA has identified. That's a significant amount of habitat now uh, for our precious animals. And yes, koalas, I've done a lot on koalas, but really because if we can't save koalas, what can we save? Today I heard about uh, greater gliders and some of the uh, trees that are going to be cleared that are greater glider habitat. I mean, greater gliders were, were decimated during the fires as well. Um, and here we have these absurd proposals to clear more habitat. We just cannot do it. You know, the world is watching what Australia is going to do in terms of protecting its wildlife. We are really one of the bi most biodiverse hotspots on the planet and we continue to clear for ridiculous things that we don't need to, like biofuels. And in terms of uh, the economic side of things, it is madness as well, isn't it? Because um, if the Great Koala National Park went ahead, we'd be making millions of dollars in tourism each year. Well, I've just been up here launching the Greens Bill to establish a Great Koala National Park, which is really the community's bill, uh, doing that for uh, you know the, the incredible work that's already been put into it by the National Parks Association, by so many others. Um, yes, $1 billion, almost 10,000 jobs over 15 years. That's what the University of Newcastle study found, a very good, independent, academic, academically thorough study. That's what the government now needs to commit to looking at. You know, it is ideological now, pure and simple. It, it, there are no benefits. When you look at um, the, the, the benefits of tourism now, just tourism, uh, to this uh, local area, it is, again... I keep saying the word insanity and madness, but you, there really is no other way to describe it. The Great Koala National Park, fantastic proposal. We won't stop uh, talking about it and pushing it until we get something. Kate, I know you've got a very busy schedule. Thank you very much for talking to, to NVR. Thanks for having me, Michael. And uh, it's so great to be in this beautiful part of the world and we will continue representing it as much as we can back in that uh, you know, Parliament House in New South Wales. You've been listening to Earth Matters. Environmental Justice Stories on the National Community Radio Network. Today's interviews were provided by Michael Jones from Nambuka Valley's community radio station 2NVR. I'd like to give a special shout-out to Michael for getting in touch and for providing the content for today's program. If you've got a local story that you'd like to hear on Earth Matters, get in touch with us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. If you'd like to catch up on any of today's show, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters to download the podcast or look us up on any podcasting service. 
Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. But today's show was produced remotely across stolen lands. And don't forget that 3CR's Radiothon is coming at you next week. So take the pledge and mention Earth Matters when you donate either online by going to our podcast page, 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters, or by calling the station on 03-9419-8377. So give us a call and make your pledge, because every time a pledge is made to Earth Matters, a baby dolphin is born. I hope you enjoyed the program and tune in next time for more Earth Matters. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon. Community-powered radio. Hi, we are the Lumberjills. Hello, we're Lumberjills. And we're from Canada. So you're listening to 3CR 855am community radio and we just want to say support your local radio station. Way hey and away we go. Donkey riding, donkey riding. Way hey and away we go. Riding on a donkey.